Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see each of you here in the house of the Lord. We're continuing in our series of messages that go along with our discipleship material with experiencing God. And what we've been focusing on these weeks uh, is on knowing God's will and and seeing it done in our lives. Uh, Having an experience of God through his will becoming a reality in our own lives. And uh, life is worship. That's the only appropriate response to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ. God wants us to live our lives for him. As we do this, our mind is renewed. We're moved in a direction counter to the world around us. Paul has a lot to say about this living a life of worship. And his first focus in chapter 12 is going to be on the core area of a Christian's life, this inner life of our minds and the life we live together as a community in the church. So what does worship look like inside of my head? And how does this affect how I interact with others in the church? How does God want me to discover his will in the context of the life of the church? Well, let's see. We're in Romans chapter 12 today. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 8. And before I start reading that, let me uh, bring us up to speed on where we are in this letter to the Roman churches. Paul writes this letter uh, to churches he has never visited. Paul, when he writes the letter, has not yet been to Rome. He's in Corinth when he writes it. And uh, he is trying to pave the way for future ministry. He feels compelled to go further west, and he wants to go all the way to Spain and share the gospel in the western half of the Roman Empire. So Rome is kind of right in the middle there, and he's hoping the churches in Rome will pray for him and spiritually support him uh, as he moves further west sharing the gospel. So he sends them this letter. It's the longest of his letters that we have. And in the first uh, 11 chapters of a total of 16 chapters, the first 11 chapters, Paul explains to them what the gospel is. This is the message I am preaching if he wants these churches to support him and pray for him and partner with him as he shares the gospel further west. They have to know the gospel that he's preaching. So he spends 11 chapters laying out what this good news of Jesus Christ is all about and he summarizes it as uh, the means by which God brings his rightness, his righteousness into our lives and reveals it in our lives, and it comes out of faith and into faith in this kind of cycle of us responding to God in faith and him pouring into us in such a way that our own faith is constantly growing and his rightness is becoming a reality in our lives. That's how he describes the gospel. So he said a whole lot about the gospel and what this means in in so many areas. But we reach the point where we have to ask the question, okay, well then, if this is the gospel and I want to receive it, now what? What does life look like in this gospel? And that's what Paul, he kind of shifts 
And Paul does this in most of his letters. He will lay out some truth in the first half of the letter and then spend the second half of the letter explaining, okay, given these truths about Christ and about ourselves, this is what it should affect in the way we're living our lives. The second half of his letters is generally very practical. And that's what he does in Romans. In chapter 12, that's the hinge. And from chapter 12, he starts talking about, okay, well, if this is the gospel, then how do we live our lives? And his response is that we live life as an act of worship. We don't respond to the gospel God has extended to us in Christ by saying, I'm going to work really hard and earn God's favor. Because as Paul has explained, as he's exposed the gospel to us, God has already extended that favor. God has already loved. He has already forgiven. He has already done everything that needed to happen. So there's nothing left for us to earn or merit when it comes to Christ. So what's the only thing left? Worship. Gratitude to turn toward God and understand our whole lives as an act of gratitude, as an act, a response of worship to God. Paul says we should take our bodies and present them as a living sacrifice, the very living of life that I am doing in this body, in this me that I am. Everything about my life is to be a worship elevated to God. Not just what I do here on Sunday morning, but every day of the week, every moment of my life, I am living my life as a response of gratitude to God, as an act of worship. And he describes it as a thoughtful service of worship. It isn't just some ecstatic experience where you lose control of yourself. It is a very intentional and meditated response to God. We put our, our minds and hearts into it and we intentionally focus ourselves towards God and think of our lives and think of every aspect of our lives as ways by which we are expressing to God our gratitude and lifting him up, worshiping him in everything we do and say. He says we should not be conformed to this world and the world is exerting its pressure trying to press us into this mold of their ideal human being. We don't allow the world to shape us. We allow ourselves to be transformed. How? The transformation is happening from within. God is putting a new way of thinking in us and renewing our minds and in this renewal of our minds we actually discover what God's will is. We put it to the test and experience the reality in our lives of God's will being implemented. Does that sound familiar to you? Haven't we been talking about that since January? Having God's will implemented in our lives. Paul says as our minds are transformed by Christ we are discovering, we are putting to the test what God's will is and we are finding it to be good and agreeable and pleasant. Everything about his will is good. That's what we're uh, working on, what we've been focusing on the past weeks. This is the prelude to the verses we're going to look at today. Let me read verse 3. For through the grace that has been given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think too highly of yourselves beyond what you ought to think, 
but to think with sober judgment as God has distributed to each a measure of faith. I think it's very interesting that basically Paul is calling us to a a humble self-evaluation of ourselves. And notice that he says that he only extends this instruction to us and he says it's something for everyone among us. So this isn't just for the weak or the immature or the new people in the gospel, but every single one of us needs to hear this instruction. It applies to all of us and he says that his own basis for sharing this instruction is the grace that has been given to him. Paul is sharing with us a call to humility as a person who in his own life has learned to eat a lot of crow. Think about it. He was an up-and-coming star. He was the best of the best. Not only was he politically connected, I mean, he was from a wealthy family up in Tarsus, so privileged that he was born with Roman citizenship. We don't grasp today the magnitude of that, but that means he was was set in life. Not only that, but his his family had enough means that he was able to travel to Jerusalem and be trained at the feet of the most respected rabbi of the day, Gamaliel. And as Paul was in this life as a young man, a rising star, and he was a genius, I am sure, I am certain that he knew he would eclipse Gamaliel. He had that kind of a mind. He was extremely gifted and committed. He was all in. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. In terms of zeal, nobody could outmatch him. So he was going to set the pace for rabbis for centuries to come. He was going to be the best of the best. And he was fully committed when he asked for authorization to pursue Christians up to Damascus and bring them in. Until along the road... He ran into Jesus, and everything changed. Everything he thought was so valuable, he suddenly realized was worthless. Everything he thought he was, he suddenly realized was a lie. And all he was, when it came down to it, was a self-confident enemy of God. He deserved nothing but wrath from God and instead he found love. It broke him. It shattered everything he thought he knew about himself and it shattered his pride. It's from that grace that he appeals to us to not be so full of ourselves. To not think too highly of ourselves. To not think beyond what we ought to think. And here's our problem. Every one of us is uh, cursed with this affliction that we believe, I believe, that I am the hero of the story of my life. I am the protagonist. I am the main character in the story of my life. It is all about me. So it's... Normal that every single one of us in our own minds think way too highly of ourselves. We think it's all about me. That's where we all start out. Paul says we need to learn a new way of thinking. To 
to not think highly of ourselves, to not go beyond what we should be thinking. But how then do we evaluate ourselves? What is the proper self-evaluation in Christ? What is sober judgment when it comes to myself? Well, he says it should be based on how God, uh, the, the measure of faith that God has distributed to us. And that may sound odd to you. What do you mean the measure of faith God has distributed? Doesn't, isn't faith something I bring to the table? In fact, isn't faith the only thing I really have to bring to the table? I can't offer any works. I can't do anything to earn the forgiveness God has extended in Christ. All I can do is respond in faith and say, I believe you, I trust you. Why does Paul describe faith as something God is distributing to each one of us? Well, I think it has to do with the nature of the gospel. The gospel is an invitation to a personal relationship with God. Every one of us has a different experience of that relationship. We don't all come to this relationship at the same moments in our lives. I came to it when I was six, almost seven years old. Some of you didn't come to it until you were in your 20s. Some of you maybe in your 40s. Maybe even later. Who knows? Each of our stories is completely different. And the moment that faith relationship began is different for every single one of us. And even though I had the response of faith when the gospel was presented to me, that was up to me. God's whole activity in my life arranging for that moment is something he did, not me. God is the one who invited me into this relationship. I didn't wake up one morning and decide, I need God. God called me. Every single one of us, he has been the one who has initiated this relationship. So when Paul talks about the measure of faith God has distributed to each one, he's talking about how God is developing each one of these relationships individually. So that where I am in terms of my trust in God... And my faith in him is different than where you are. And the things God has poured into my life in response to the faith I have extended toward him is different in my life than it is in yours. But that's the way it works. It's the righteousness of God being revealed out of faith and into faith. It kind of creates this cycle in which we are ever deepening in this faith walk with God. But every one of us has a different experience of it. How should we think of ourselves? We should think of ourselves in light of where am I today in my relationship with God? Where has he brought me? What has he done in my life? That is the only thing of any worth or uh, worthy of any attention is what has God done? That's the only thing I need to focus on. Paul doesn't say for us to evaluate ourselves based on how many people we know or how smart we are or what degrees we have or what we have accomplished in life. He says nothing about any of that. But we ought to think of ourselves with sober judgment as God has distributed to each a measure of faith. Our self-evaluation needs to be faith-based. Let's keep reading in verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, 
but the members do not all have the same function. So also the many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, but having different gifts according to the grace that has been given to us. That's a long sentence, and I'm not even done with it yet, but Paul liked to write sentences like that, by the way. Here's the, so how do we live this life of worship? The first thing Paul has to say about it is you got to think about yourself rightly. You got to, your frame of reference for who I am has to come out of what Christ is up to in your life. And starting from that, what is the first context I need to focus on? The life of the church. Paul has used this metaphor before in his letters to the Corinthians that the church is a body. And how does a body work? Well, a body has a lot of members, and each member has a very different function. Your kidney does not do the same thing as your eyeball. Your ear does not do the same thing as your hand. Every part of your body, every discrete portion of it has a function unique to itself. And some of those are very, very, very different from one another. And yet, all these many wildly different members make up one single body. There's no hand over here doing its own thing while the rest of the body is over here doing its thing. We're not a bunch of different pieces all kind of doing their own thing. One singular body. So that when we talk about the individual member, individually, even though every individual member is very different from the other members, each individual member shares the same core existential reality. I am a part of the body. That is the only context for my existence. We are all individually members of one another. It's only together that we become a body. We have different gifts according to the grace that has been given to us. God, in his kindness, extends grace to us and puts gifts in our lives. And I think sometimes we have much too narrow a definition of what it means to say God has given me a gift. My definition of a gift of God is something you wouldn't have except for God. If God hadn't put it there, it wouldn't be there. And so I would say, if you have a whole new way of thinking, that new mind is a gift of God. If you have a new set of priorities and your will is now fashioned around a whole different approach to living your life, that is a gift of God. So it's more than just discrete uh, acts of service or ministries within the body of, of Christ. It's everything about you that God has poured into you that is now something was, that wasn't there before. God has given us all kinds of gifts. By his grace. But we need to understand this. 
Sometimes we talk, we've, we've waited this long in experiencing God to reach the point where we talk about the will of God and his church. Because a lot of times, all we want to think about is ourselves. What is God's will for my life? That's the way we often frame the question. And I love that this material talks about this and corrects that uh, wrong way of thinking. It's not what is God's will for my life. It's what is God's will. Period. My life is supposed to conform to that. Not the other way around. What is God's will? God's will is for his children to be one body. And God's will is to put his grace in every one of us in unique ways and then bring us all together so that together we become something we could never be except together. And we need to think of our life in Christ this way. The only context in which my life in Christ has any meaning is the context of the church. To use this metaphor image, what happens if a hand says, I'm going to walk away from the body? Well, two things will happen. First of all, the body will be maimed. The body will be unable to do some of the things it needed to do. God brought that hand to the body to do what hands do. The body will be maimed. It may survive. It'll survive but it'll be maimed. What happens to the hand, though, if it severs itself from the body? It withers and dies. The member cannot survive on its own. God has designed us to live our lives together and to find our purpose in his will together. We are to live our lives as one body. Sure, with all the diversity that God can throw out there. And nobody is more diverse than God because everything that exists is here because he dreamed it up and gave it existence. So nobody's more diverse than God. And his church should reflect that. And I think we as a congregation are very aware of that. That we should be very different from one another. What we do need to understand, though, is that we are designed to function only together, not separately. And the question you need to ask yourself is, is this the body God has called me to? If so, why did he call me to this body? What do I provide the rest of the body that the body desperately needs? And we need to give up on this individualistic lie that our society tries to peddle us, that all you need is yourself. That is not true. I need the rest of the body for my life to have any meaning and for my uh, life to survive. I need what you give me. Every one of us has that same need. We need one another. We need to think of ourselves in that context of being together in Christ. So if you're a Christian who doesn't bother to gather with the rest of the church, you are maiming the body of Christ. 
You are depriving the body of a function God designed for it. We need to give ourselves to each other and we need to depend on each other. We need to serve and find God's will together. So God has laid out his gifts and given them in grace to us and then he talks about a few samplings of gifts. This is not a definitive list of God's gifts. It's just a smattering. Paul makes several lists like these in his letters and he never uses the same terms. So don't ever think, oh, this is the definitive list of the ways God's going to work in our lives. But these uh, are some broad uh, umbrella gifts. Prophecy. Prophecy is the gift of sharing a message from God. In, in the church, anybody who is in the ministry of preaching or teaching is engaging in prophecy if you're doing it right. Hopefully, you're not just telling people your opinion. Hopefully, you are sharing with people what God has to say to us in his word. And you are sharing the word of God, the message of God with others. So, if that's your gift, if you are a messenger that God has raised up to convey his word to the people of God, how should you do that? He says, according to the proportion of faith. According to the proportion of faith. Again, going back to that idea that God is working in each of our lives and all we can talk about is where God has me today. Thus far God has brought me. That is, that is all I can speak to. Any of you who are engaged in the ministries of teaching or preaching probably have experienced what I have over uh, decades of my life. When I was young, I passionately shared what, I, what God gave me to share, and I did it to the best of my abilities with conviction and passion. But you know, there are things I was saying 20, 30 years ago that I cringe at today. Because where God has brought me today, I realize there were things I didn't quite understand right. I was passionate, I was sharing with, in proportion to the faith, to where God had me right then, and that's the only way any of us can do any ministry. <coughs> what that means is that the best we can do <coughs> is give it our best shot based on where God has brought me to today. And we have to understand that not a one of us has arrived at full, perfect knowledge not a one of us is the prophet who has uncovered all the secrets of God and I am going to tell you the pure will of God and that's unquestionable and I will never have any mistakes in anything I have to say. No, it's always an imperfect communication. All I can do is uh, share what, I, what God has brought me to thus far. Where I am in this faith relationship with God, I can share from this moment. But I do so with humility. <coughs> Understanding that my grasp is imperfect. <coughs> and that what I have to say today is not the end all be all of everything God has to say. I'm still learning, I'm still growing, and in that humility, we share the Word of God. <coughs> if the gift is service, 
God's given you the ability and placed in your heart the desire to serve the needs of those around you. You know how you do that? You serve. Not that hard. Just do it. And you'll notice in the life of the church, we are very often saying we're trying to do ministries and do things, and we need people to step up and say, I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to help. I can do this. So if God has equipped you to serve, and there's a need for service, and you can do it, what do you need to do? Serve. Step up. Don't wait for people to plead with you. Step forward and say, here I am, send me. If your gift is teaching, teach. Again, don't make people beg you. If that's your gift, put it to work. Use it when there are needs for teaching in the congregation. Teach. Exhortation. If you're the kind of person who is an encourager, who uh, helps other people uh, aspire to greater things and strengthens and helps them go higher, then don't shut up about it. Speak your words of exhortation to the people around you. Don't be shy. If you give, do it with sincerity. Don't use giving as a way to raise your own profile as some ulterior motive, some, some ulterior motive, some sneaky-handed way to pretend like you really care about somebody else's needs, but actually you're just self-promoting? No. If you're going to give, do it sincerely. Do it honestly. If you lead, do it with eagerness. Nothing is more discouraging to a congregation than for its leaders to be uh, passionless about it. For the leaders to do it uh, with a ho-hum attitude or uh, dragging their feet. No, Paul says, if you're gonna lead, if God's put leadership in your wheelhouse and that is what you are, that's, you're the kind of person that other people kind of naturally listen to, then do it with eagerness. He doesn't say it's easy, but be eager about it. Be all in about it. If you show mercy, <coughs> do it with cheerfulness. And sometimes that's hard to do because mercy is giving somebody a kindness they do not deserve. Right? Somebody does not deserve this and mercy is, I'm going to treat you in a way other than what you deserve. I'm going to treat you better than you deserve. Sometimes as Christians we do that because we understand that is what Christ calls us to do. But we do it with a bad attitude. Yeah, I'm going to do this, but man, you really don't deserve this. No, if you're going to do it, if you're going to extend mercy, do it with the same uh, joy that God himself extends to you when he gives you his mercy. When God gives you mercy, do you think he's sitting up there saying, well, you don't really deserve this. Let me remind you of how little you deserve this. I really shouldn't be doing this for you. No, God openly <coughs> welcomes and pours out his mercy on us. If we're going to do that, let's do it the same way with cheerfulness. <coughs>
How do we worship? How do we live a life of worship? How do we discover as our minds are transformed and we come to know and to taste the will of God that is good and perfect and pleasant? We do this by living these lives of mutual service, by committing ourselves to each other and giving to each other what God has put us in this body to give and finding our purpose in life together. That's why we pray together. That's why I've challenged you to come here on Monday nights and let's fall on our face before God as a church and say, God, what is your will? I continue to challenge you to arrange your life so that you can participate in this intentional pursuit of the will of God as a body. We want to worship God together. We want to know his will together. We want to seek his face together. And we want him to make our lives together accomplish the task he has for us as a body. Life is worship. When we live this way, we are transformed. Our minds are renewed when we make God's will, not our will, the focus of our living. How do we do this? It begins by changing our self-perception. Christ will free us from the insecurities and deceptions that often cripple us and sabotage every attempt to try to have meaningful connections with God and with each other. Christ will fix that if we'll just release it to him. We have to stop trying to build ourselves up as more than we are. We have to give up on the Instagram image of the perfect life. Who am I today in Christ? Where has he brought me today? We give up on posturing this false public persona. We embrace what we are right now in Christ, understanding that we are far short of the glory that has been promised. From here, we join the church, the body of Christ. We are all at different stages in this walk of faith. And the way God works in each of us is unique. So there's tremendous diversity in our community. But Christ is the core of each life. And that singular focus binds us into perfect unity of purpose and heart. We worship God as we serve each other in myriad ways. The ways God has equipped and trained each of us to do. And we do this with honesty, with sincerity, with simplicity. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. I want to challenge you to make body life the core focus of the way you go about living your life. Don't think of church as a group of people you occasionally hang around. A place you give money every once in a while. Think of church as the reason Christ saved you and equipped you. 
to do his will in this earth. And the church is the way he's going to do that. And the rest of the believers is the way he's going to make that happen. Together, we are the body of Christ. Individually, we are nothing but members. And on our own, we're nothing. I want to challenge you today to commit yourself to this body of believers. Let me tell you something that's coming up on Easter Sunday, April 9th. We're going to have a joint service, and uh, we're going to have baptisms. Uh, So if you have not uh, gone through with this public act of obedience, where you put your faith in Jesus, he says, if we do that, if we become his disciples, we are to be baptized. And this is a public way to signal our faith in him. And it's also, by the way, one of the ways in which you join the membership of this church and you become one of the members of this body. If this is the church God has called you to, you need to step up and you need to join and you need to be a part of what's going on here. You need to submit yourself to uh, the lives of the rest as we have all submitted our lives to one another. I want to challenge you today. If that's the call God's placing in your heart, I want you to come forward. Uh, Let's all stand. There'll be people here at the front. And it may be that kind of a decision. It may be a different kind of decision. Whatever God has laid on your heart as you've listened to his word this morning, I want to challenge you to respond in obedience. Come forward while we sing. and Let the people here at the front just take your hand and pray with you as you share with them what God's laid on your heart. Come while we sing.